This is episode 102 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me. Megan Roop joins me today to share how Quiet Adventures helped her find herself after battling the pursuit of being perfect. Along the way, she's woven her experience with the Peace Corps, selling outdoor equipment, teaching yoga, and helping people overcome eating disorders into a unique body of work. Listen in as we discuss the nourishing nature of being in nature and how honoring the seasons helps you honor your changing nature. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. If you're struggling to keep up with processing your email, SaneBox might be just the tool you need. It has saved me hours of time each month, and the amount of peace of mind I get from it is priceless. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. Move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from the sender again. One and done. Just how we like it. Because email can be such a bear and keep you from finishing the stuff that matters, we worked out a great deal for our listeners. Visit sanebox.com forward slash giant and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter the credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Again, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com forward slash giant. Hello, Creative Giants. Here's the dish on Megan Roop. Megan is passionate about helping women quiet the noise of everyday life and come back to who they are through the power of nature and sisterhood. She is the founder of Quiet Adventures, which brings women together to connect hone their adventure skills in the great outdoors, and learn personal practices to keep them centered every day of the year. When she's not guiding others to discover the restorative power of waking up with the sun, drinking water from a crystal clear lake, meditating by a campfire, and falling asleep to the wind rustling through the leaves, she can be found hitting the trail alone or with her husband in Northern California. Megan, thanks so much for joining me today and for um, being a part of this conversation and sharing your great work with the world. Thanks for having me, Charlie. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Alrighty. So Quiet Adventures is not something one, that you just sort of stumble upon one day. Like, you know, I'm going to go to college and then I'm going to come out and start Quiet Adventures. And so um, kind of tell us the path that you used or the path that you went to end up um, doing this work in the world. Yeah, great question. Um, It's been a very long and winding path um, of over a decade now. So um, it's not definitely anything that I went to school for and knew that this was going to happen. Um, I'll back up. I started um, out of university. I studied business in Spanish and have always had this deep desire and um, passion around um, service and nonprofit and that world. And so my immediate first step out of college was actually the Peace Corps. Um, So I spent two years in the Peace Corps in South America. And then um, from there, came home and really, I've always struggled between that 
idea of giving back and generosity and having to make money and be in the world. And so always going in between these two very difficult um, ways of being in the world has always been throughout my past something that I've read back and forth between. So I ended up taking a corporate job um, in the most, the furthest, like polar opposite of the Peace Corps, which is Walmart. I ended up moving to Bentonville, Arkansas, which you know, mm-hmm. and um, was a buyer for Walmart. Um, so that that was like the the beginning of my path. Um, and immediately like felt very disenchanted with the, the corporate world, the way of being, um, values, and just everything that comes with that and the level of stress that I was experiencing. However, um, I really had this, this deep, deep belief that like success was that. I grew up, my dad worked for Walmart for 20 years. And so there was a lot of like following in his footsteps. Um, and then pretty quickly realizing like there was no way it was going to work for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No way. Um, and then all along this time also like really having a passion for the outdoors, personal growth, teaching, um, that, that idea of, um, really understanding who you are as a person and how to be a better human being in the world. And that's always played out. So, um, from there, then I, you know, found ways to merge. I, I continued down the path of business because it is something I really love. I love being a part of teams. I love projects. I love, there's just a sense of being a part of something big like that, that I love and, um, moved then to Salt Lake city and worked for black diamond equipment as a buyer, which is a climbing and skiing company. So at that time, then also I was, um, teaching a lot of the outdoor skills, teaching yoga, working a very like standard nine to five job, still doing service work. So everything was sort of, all of the pieces were being met there. And then I met my husband (laughs) who um, is an amazing human being and his job started taking us um, all over the country for his work. And so I had to leave behind something where I kind of had felt like, oh, I finally found my ground. Um, which was good. It forced me to really kind of pull the rug out underneath me and forced me to figure out how I want to make this work and what I want to do and how I want to show up in the world. Um, and so from there, it's really been, that's when my path to real entrepreneurship, I feel like started. Um, and it was in a very sort of more of a forced way than probably most people. It was like, I either I don't really have the choice to go back to a nine to five job because we're moving so frequently. Mm-hmm. So how can I take my strengths, my skills, my passions, all of these things that make up who I am to now forge my own path. Um, and then from there, there's been a, a lot of trial and error and attempts um, that have brought me to where I'm at today, you know, from coaching to full-time teaching yoga and meditation, to wilderness therapy, mm-hmm. all everything. And a couple years ago, I got to a place where I really, really could fill this pull towards quiet adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but there was a lot of fear. It was like, nobody's going to even understand that name. No one's going to show up. Like People are going to think I'm crazy. Um, but I could just feel this like deep down, like, you got to do this. Um, and I, I really, it came from a space of like, 
doing so much work with women around personal de development and all the different th things that I've worked with women on and seeing um, a really a disconnect, like everything was like in a different compartment um, and seeing people out there doing the work. It's like, it's the one-on-one -on -one or the group, or there's just a backpacking trip, or there's just a yoga retreat, or there's just a meditation class, and like all of these different things. And I'm like, my whole life, well, not my whole life, but like fr from high school on, like I've started bringing these things together and it's shaped who I am. And, um, why isn't anybody else bringing this together? It was just like, kind of like, huh. And so I was like, I'm going to start bringing it together, but not in a way where, um, Oh, I'm going to make a business out of this and it's going to be this big thing. And, all of that. I mean, it, for several years, it was very behind the scenes with friends and people who are close to me and past clients and just sharing the work with them. And then with each step that I took, I could see like, wow, like this is powerful. And, um, from there it's, it's just grown. And, um, I recently just this past spring, you know, launched a site, began all the online marketing and that, those fun things. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, now it's just a few months that it's been like very public and out there. Good. Well, you mentioned on your website, so let's back up a little bit. You mentioned on your best website that, um, you know, for many years, you, you dedicated all of your energy and resources to achieving perfection as a woman, perfection as a, as a human, and it left you struggling with an eating disorder and depression, burnout, yep. and disconnection, right? So how, how did that weave into this? I mean, because again, you jumped from Peace Corps to Walmart to Black Diamond to this sort of thing, but the, where, um, what was, what were the stressors and things like that that you think led you down that road? Yeah. So I, I really think to speak to like what you said, I've, I share on my website and I share a lot with people is this idea that in my world and in how I grew up in the population that I live in, I feel like women are taught to be perfect rather than human from like how we look to how we act, to how the roles that we play in society, to what we do for a living, to how we take care of our families. Um, and really like it took me years to strip all of that away and get back to this, like just being human, being who I am fully, flaws and all, loving the parts of myself. Um, and I don't feel like there's a lot of places, spaces, and ways for women to sort of unlearn that perfectionism. Um, so that, that is a, like a big, big driving factor around it is how do we help women just learn how to be human again? Cause I, that's what the world needs. When, or if you can tell a story, tell us a story about when you recognize that this socialization that, that women go through that leads them down this road was really impacting you in a way? Cause I think a lot of it is we're not comfortable. We're not conscious of the socializations that we face. We, we don't tell ourselves the stories that, that we've learned from societies, even though we live those stories, even though those stories play out in our lives. So what was that moment for you? If there was a moment where you're like, you know, this is the script that is not, not working for me. Yeah, I think it was during um, a time after I was working really intensely at a corporate, the corporate job um, and was deep in the trenches of depression and an eating disorder. Like, 
at a very low point um, and stepped away from life to actually go into treatment. And at that point, you know, as I had the support and was starting to get the tools around me, I could really see like, wow, like this is never going to work for me. There's no way. There's no way like the, you know, the American dream and the making the money and having the babies and working the job and going up the corporate ladder. Like I just, there was a moment where I accepted like that will never be me. And that is, you know, a big source and root of my unhappiness right now. The reason I ask that is because we have this story about work, right? That work is something um, in a, one, one cultural narrative that we have is that work is something that you don't want to do. You just kind of put up with it and you kind of do it. And then you get to do all the happy making stuff outside of work. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, I think your story is one. I, I think Jonathan Fields is another one that we can, that we can share about that, that there are times in which your work itself is actually making you sick, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's actually leading to a place of dysfunction. And um, I just wanted to pull that out because a lot of times we have this story that are like, I just tough it out. And, you know, this is what work is supposed to be. And, you know, what, what's wrong? I can just do that. But I just really want people to be sensitive to the fact that, like, you don't have to do work that you hate and that makes you sick because there are other ways of being in the world. Mm-hmm. And there are other really great jobs and good companies. I'm not saying you've got to jump to be an entrepreneur, right? right. <laughs> um, but just pay attention to that. Like if you've, if you've done all the things that you read in the books about making yourself happy and you're still not there, it might be your job or the work environment that you're in. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for, for just bringing that home. And I would also add that not just work, like relationship, marriage, home life, like everything, like just because society tells us it's so, there's a way that we should be living life does not mean that it's going to work for you. Let's talk about that because I think, you know, as, as we talk so much about socialization, the way we program, especially women, right? I'm sensitive to the fact that I'm not one, right? <laughs> um, but I'm observant and, and married to one and talk a lot. I think there's a part of the, the story that goes around relationships, right? And certain ways of being in relationships with oneself and with other people that um, may lead to um, undue unhappiness, right? Um, mm-hmm. but in my experience, Megan, and you've done a lot of work with women in, in, um, in their um, personal development, um, I think women have a much harder time acknowledging that some of the relationships aren't feeding them. Yeah. Um, but have you experienced that in your work? Because it could be biased on my, on my part, right? No, definitely. I think for women, um, you know, there comes a time where she really has to get clear on the relationships in her life. And um, if she's not, not, it's not about giving, I don't feel like for women, especially the women that I work with, they're all typically overgivers. It's about like, is what they're receiving, feeding and fueling them and actually you know, helping them live the life they want to live. And um, a lot of women on these retreats kind of find that. Or they come because they don't have that. They don't have those types of relationships. And they're finding like, well, everyone around me, like I'm just giving all the time. And um, these aren't actually the relationships that I want. So they come kind of seeking that substantial, meaningful relationship. I don't know if I answered your question, but yes. You did. I'm just wondering um, 
because it may be heard differently coming from you than coming from me. Yeah. Um, in those scenarios where relationships are either not nourishing them or actually detrimental, detrimental to the thriving, what are some different ways that you've worked with women or that you've seen women work through those scenarios? Yes, definitely. So I think one important thing is for women, well, some of this is some of the stuff that we do, is helping women get clear on like, hell yes and hell no in every area of their life, but really in their relationships. Like, what are you willing to accept and what feeds you and what nourishes you? And what is like you need to draw the line and build a boundary around? Like, no more. So that's like a really helpful first step, I think, for women just to even start thinking about this idea. And then um, really focus on meaningful connection. So dropping below the surface, like, great, you're an executive at Google or you're a mom of four kids and just ran, just like all the different ways that we sort of label ourselves. We try and strip that away. Like, yes, it's important. And like, we want to know who the women is beneath all of that. And then when women connect from that space without the labels, there's a much more meaningful, uh, more rooted connection. And so we really try to create that. And I think that's something easy that women can do in their everyday lives if they meet people. And then the other part is a lot of um, really learning how to voice our needs and saying, being able, creating a space to say, I need this or I need help. It's simple as like, can you come help me set up my tent? It seems small, but like that, those little moments of practice um, really give her the courage then to voice those needs outside of that. So we really take moments to really focus on that and acknowledge it and celebrate it. Great. We've been talking about stories and ways that they sort of get inside of our cognitive and emotional operating system, as it were. Um, in your experience, which of those stories, and you can give a few, are the most hardest for people to shake? Oh, that's a good question. So a, a story that I see consistently play over and over again and that played over and over in my life um, is I'm not good enough. Um, I see, see that a lot, and I think it's one of the most detrimental, for sure. I'm not good enough. You know, I was talking to Angela about this a few weeks ago. Um, and what I was commenting on is, um, cause there was, I, I think I was listening to Liz Gilbert's, um, big magic. And she was talking about the different ways in which she's noticed that women, uh, because of this whole, I'm not good enough thing won't go after opportunities Mm-hmm. that men who seem to have this sort of overconfidence about their own ability, their overconfidence in themselves will go after it. And, you know, I was commenting on that because over the course of a career, um, deciding to put yourself on the field or deciding to sit the bench makes a huge difference when we come, when it looks at both opportunities and happiness. Now, granted, I'm not going to say that like women are putting themselves in a bad position. I'm not going that route. Right. But mm-hmm. I just want to be clear that beware that, that I'm not good enough story may be creating a self-fulfilling prophecy where, because we learn by doing, or we become by doing and we learn by doing, if you're never good enough to give yourself the chance to do, yeah. you don't learn and you don't become. Yeah. You're setting yourself up to never actually be good enough by saying that. Yeah. 100% agree. (laughs) So how do you help people work through that story? 
Um, I think it's really, again, like going back to stripping away the non-essential and getting to the core of who they really are. And when women connect to that, then they see like, oh, wow, like I do have these gifts. I do have these strengths. I do have so much to give. I am enough. And I feel like women can especially experience that in nature and in, in community. Like those two pieces together really create the container for them to step into that. I, it's, it's really hard in your day-to-day life with your phone and your email to, to break a pattern or a story like that. Let's talk about being in nature then, right? Um, <laughs> and how you make people feel like a natural woman. But, um, you know, because that's a counterintuitive thing because I, it, it seems that, um, I mean, obviously connecting with your nature by being in nature, that seems obvious. Um, but I think there's something about, um, about being out in nature that may not be immediately obvious. So what happens when you're out in nature that helps one connect with oneself? Um, well, a lot happens and I could probably talk for hours about this. Um, so for women, especially, I find that when we step away from our daily roles and can leave behind all of that and step into nature and into the natural world, we're able to really connect to who we are. Our senses, our senses are enlivened, our, uh, perspectives just completely shift. So everything that we're worrying about on a day-to-day basis, when you're in something that's so much bigger than you, you really remember like, wow, like I am small and this world is huge. And these worries and concerns like really aren't that big of a deal. So it really grounds you back in what matters most. Um, and part of like what grounds you in what matters most, like you realize like when you're away from technology, you realize like your phone and Instagram and email and you're busy to do less, like none of that matters. Like what matters is you being a happy and fulfilled person, you having meaningful relationships, you doing the work in the world that you're meant to do. And it really grounds you back in that, um, which is why I think it's so important. Um, and then an- another big thing that I think is helpful for people to see that may not be so obvious is when we're in nature and connected to nature, we see the seasons changing. And um, that may not seem like a big deal to a lot of people, but it's huge. Like, especially for women, it's one of connecting to the seasons can be one of the greatest things you can do for your health and happiness. So seeing how nature changes can not only help us make changes in our own life, but also see, you know, the greater rhythm of life. Um, So those are the big things. Fantastic. I'm going to slide in today. Angela and I learned a lot about the changing seasons and, this, and their impact on us. Um, we used to live in Arkansas where there are major changes in the season. Pacific Northwest, there's like summer and rain. Um, <laughs> not so much. But, you know, what we try to do is actually have um, personal and or creative retreats that happen around the seasons changing. Mm. right so around the solstice around the equinoxes right is where we try to do something intentional to um, to acknowledge that this season has changed so on and so forth because um i've noticed in my patterns and she's noticed in her patterns that the way we feel about our work changes that our workflows change our creative rhythms our circadian rhythms changes so everything changes and we'd rather intentionally acknowledge those changes than be in mid-January and be like, why? what's going on? I feel weird. Right. 
winter happened, right? Where where right. changing seasons happen or mid spring, like why something I feel creatively burst and you know things like that. And it's like, oh, it's spring, and so we try to sort of welcome those in. Um, and it's been a great thing. We've been doing it for a few years. Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, because I really think it's important too, because especially as women. Now, men go through their own cycles and seasons, and I can't speak to that. You can speak to that better than I can. Um, But women, like, on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, we go through those seasons. And so the more women can tune into those seasons of, like, summer and celebration and joy and fall and letting go and really acknowledging, you know, the abundance in your life and then winter and getting still and quiet and then spring bursting forth, um, it's just the easier it is to navigate life. I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I completely forgot what I was going to say there for a minute. Um, so many- well, one, one other thing I would just want to add to that, that yeah. I think would be interesting, especially for like creatives to understand the seasons, I think is just could be so powerful. Um, is And especially where I live, I see this as a problem. I live in um, the Bay Area, right in the heart of Silicon Valley. And it's a constant spring here. Like people are, you know, constantly bursting ideas. The weather is constantly spring, um, which then creates like major burnout. And I see creatives do that a lot. Is like they just want to be in spring and summer and then they crash, you know? I really insightful book that I read a few years ago around this and what is where Angela and I started taking this more um, intentionally was it's a book um, called from wood to water. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about um, the Chinese um, seasons and the way that they understand the seasons and the different energies and, and the different qualities associated with each season. It's a fantastic. It's book amazing. Cause it talks about each of these yeah. changes. Now, um, as always, you don't have to agree with the metaphysics of everything, right? You don't have to agree right. that that's the way of the world. But I think there's something ancient and important about that tradition that acknowledges these changes and the different energies. And um, I was talking to Angela a few months ago that, you know, one of the things that, that we're shifting more, that I'm shifting more, is so that my work is in alignment with the season, both of life, but also throughout the year. And so I don't care what so much that what the work is, but whether it's in the right season. Um, because if it's in the wrong season, then it, it just doesn't flow well, right? You're always fighting the energies where you are. So it's like, how about we change that? Which might mean <laughs> over three months of the year, I'm in a different energy and I'm working on different things and I'm okay with that, right? We can build life around that because I think when we look at our history as humans, we've always done that, mm-hmm. We've yeah. always structured our days around the seasons and the bounty and the scarcity or the energy. It's only been since the 1800s and the invention of lighting that we've made ourselves artificial beings. So yeah. what if we went that way? What would happen? You know? Yeah, I love that. And um, I just, I think that's amazing. You're being a role model for that, you know, and for, for your community because it's important. I feel like if everyone just <laughs> took like little pieces and integrated, they don't have to like change their whole life to be in rhythm with the seasons, but just made little tiny steps. Like it makes a huge difference. I'm glad you went there because it seems like, like this is great, Megan and Charlie, like being <laughs> with nature. Like, does that mean I need to live in a yurt or do I need to move out of the Bay area or do it? Um, like what do I need to do? So what are some of the small ways that, that, 
um, you might suggest people um, be more intentional about um, their connection to nature. Um, and I'll come back around and for community in just a second. Yeah, I think for the nature piece, um, if it's something that's new to you and like getting into the outdoors is, is a new endeavor, to start super small. Um, it can be as simple as like waking up and looking out your window in the morning and just connecting to the natural world like that's around your apartment or your house. It can be as simple as just taking a walk around your neighborhood and notice like what season is it? What's the weather? What's the temperature? Just tuning into those little details is really helpful. Um, and then, or just even like finding a tree in your neighborhood and watching it through the seasons. Like that's my favorite thing to do. It's like, wow, like amazing. Um, and those are little ways just to connect. And then from there you can grow. Like if you, um, then want to venture outside of your neighborhood and outside of your house, you know, starting to do the hikes and the walks and those types of things, but doing it in a way where you're really savoring and connecting and not just rushing from point A to point B, I think is important. Um, so instead of getting caught up in like, I have to do this and change my schedule and change my planning and start to live in rhythm with the seasons, just start to notice it. And then from there it can grow. Yeah. I'd also slide in there that having a micro garden, it could be a actual vegetable, a vegetable or herb garden, or it could just be a flowers that you change throughout the yeah. season. Makes you really that. present with where it is because I mean, even a little pot that's got a little, you know, I got flowers and things in there. And I'm not saying that for the women, as the, the female aspect, I'm saying it because it's a small thing mm -hmm. that it has its own seasonality and yeah. it makes you hyper present to its seasons. And as I you get that. present about its seasons, you get presence about perhaps your own. Yeah. I love that. And yeah. I'm just bringing like little objects from nature, like all over my house, I have like pine cones and little stones and just really see how you can find little ways to bring it in. Great. Um, I mentioned, let's talk about the intersection of community and nature, um, because mm -hmm. there's a certain way about being in nature you've mentioned that are, that's really helpful and nourishing for people. Um, what are some ways that like people can converge sort of the community thing, which I, we've talked about it enough on the, on the show that we don't necessarily need to go over the virtues of community, but let's, let's right. intersect those two, if you would. Yeah. So the intersection of nature and community. Um, I'm just thinking here for a moment. I think with nature too, part of why it's so powerful is we can connect to that silence and that stillness uh, much more easily than we can when we're in our day-to-day -day life. Um, so part of, and this is, this goes into the community because uh, nature provides the ways in which we can connect with ourselves much more easily and much more quickly. And so from there, then connecting with other people is much more meaningful. Uh, so just want to preface it with that. And then the community aspect, there's just something about sharing the outdoors um, with other people that is so powerful. Um, when you, you know, make it to the top of a hike and look out at this gorgeous view with a person and have that memory, or you set up your tent in the middle of a hailstorm. Um, the bonds that form from just being in nature are so, so strong. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's so powerful. Um, and yeah, I'm going to stop there. Is, is that answering your question? That answers the question. You know, it pulls in, um, 
something I've been thinking about from Todd Kashian's book, The Upside of Your Dark Side, which is that we have a comfort addiction. Um, And I think the thing about getting out in nature is that it makes us overcome that comfort addiction, uh, comfort addiction. And what I've been thinking about is we really don't deeply bond over comfort when you think about it, right? No. Yeah. We actually bond over um, struggle and adversity much more so than we do comfort. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the petty day, right? <laughs> or yeah. spa day. Um, but when you really think about those lasting friendships, it's, as you mentioned, Megan, is where like it was raining and <laughs> your tent was about to fall apart and someone came over and helped you out or it was super cold and you ended up sleeping together in the same tent for a night because it was otherwise it was freezing your tails off. And it's like, then you have a story, um, funny or not about sleeping with each other. Um, and so, I mean, you end up with these fun sort of bonding stories that I just think you don't see over um, comfort nearly as much. Yeah, I agree. Well said. I, I find it is so, so different. I'm not comparing the two, but, um, and you can speak to this, like the military, like the, those bonds are strong because you've been through some tough stuff together. Um, and for a lot of women and a lot of people, like they don't ever face that level of adversity. It's like traffic or, it, which is, there are daily things that are hard, but like real, like survival, how am I going to get through this? We don't face. And so when they have that, like the bond is just super solid. Yeah. So sometimes when people pull me in for team or for community building, um, you know, like, how are we going to get people to bond and everything like this? Like, so it's pretty simple. Get like-minded people together, um, make them do something challenging and teams form. (laughs) And so, I mean, it's really, it's not a, it's not a sufficient condition. Well, sometimes it is, but it, it's not one of those things. Absolutely. But good people together that have similar values, um, going through something that they care about and out tends to pop teams and can, yep. right. But if everyone's sort of comfort and we can all have our sort of private back, our private backyards and our big houses that we can hide in, like we don't develop communities. We don't develop teams. We don't develop a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, weave this back into what you're doing quite adventure and how that journey's been for you. So tell us a story about when um, it, it's one of those like moments where you really recognize you were in the right place doing exactly the right thing. And it's like, this is it. Oh, I've had so many of those moments this year. And like, I can actually like feel emotion when I start to bring up those stories because I spent not, I mean, there, I had little moments along the way, but never that have felt like this. Um, and I think one of them is actually like women last fall, I'll back up. Sorry. Last fall, I was, I took a group of women out to Tahoe national forest and, um, it was October and, um, the, the weather was starting to shift you know, so you get that chance of like, maybe like a bad thunderstorm, you could even get a little snow. And, um, we were out there and, um, we got caught in a hailstorm. like, and then it rained for 24 hours straight, um, down sleeping bags, wet temperature dropping very quickly. Um, and yeah, so it was like go time, you know, and a lot of these women, we, we get a lot of women who have outdoor skills and women who don't have outdoor skills. And so some of these people 
really, you know, were scared and we were pretty far into the backcountry. Um, and we made it through, got through, everyone's stuff got dried, got tense up, sitting around the fire that night and just reflecting is just like, there is nowhere else I would rather be. Like, this is what I was meant to do. Um, you know, hearing the women around the campfire as they were sharing, um, experiencing their change and their transformation that they went through with them that day. Uh, I just, I knew, and I could, I could feel it in every cell of my body. Um, yeah. So it's funny, like something that was, it was hard 24 hours. It's stressful when you have, you know, a group of women out there you're responsible for. And like, it's, it's what I meant to be doing. That just makes me think one of the things I love about being outdoors, especially throughout things like that. Granted, no one wants to go through those, but <sighs> you, do, you realize how immediately vulnerable we are in this world. Mm. At the same time that you recognize how incredibly powerful we are in this world. Yeah. It's this very weird circumstance where like, you know, and you know, we know with, with survival skills that really all you need is warmth, water, and food. Mm-hmm. If you can secure those three things, like everything else, and unless you're in like dangerous bear country or something like that, but warm water and food. But throughout times like that, it's like, what's going to happen? Everything's going to happen. Right. It's like, how do you get people warm? How do you make sure they have water? And how do we make sure we're fed? That's really all we have to be concerned about here, right? Yeah. Um, but we're also, um, you know, leaves in this wind of the world, right? Where it's it's very fragile, very fragile at the same time. Oh, uh-huh. So that was a pivotal, a positive pivotal moment. Let's talk about a negative pivotal moment where you're like one of those dark nights of the soul um, as far as <laughs> great adventures go. Um, I've or, had... Excuse me, quiet adventures. Yeah, so like periods where you're like, I want to go get a job kind of thing. Yes. Yes, I have those two as often as I have the moments of like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. There's definitely moments where it's just like, what am I doing? I'm crazy. <laughs> what triggers those moments? Um, I think for me personally, I know it's different for everyone. Um, it's when I get out of rhythm, like big time, when I get off of like my season and my rhythm. Um, you know, if I'm like overworking, if I'm trying to push something through, um, those are the times when then I just get in a bad space mentally and get off track and lose focus of what's most important. Um, and, and I find there's a, there's a big connection there for me with, um, those two things for sure. I'm trying to think of a recent, I haven't like the past several months, like I haven't had any of those. So I'm feeling pretty good. Um, but I definitely think last fall, last winter where I was like, putting so much time, like doing this work and no one knew about it. And then wanting to take the step to like put it out there in a bigger way. I definitely had a lot of moments there because, you know, my fear was coming up and um, I had moments where, Oh, it'd just be easier to go get a job and just do this in my free time. You know? Good. Good. Yeah. So what's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? Oh gosh, most unanticipated. Mm. I have a couple of challenges right now. Actually, this is one like that, um, you know, when I first 
met you at QPS, I was having the same challenge is where do I want to go from here? Um, I never, you know, last fall I was scared to put it out there and now I've put it out there and it's been well received. And it's like, okay, where do I really want to take this and where do I want to go with it? And I have some ideas and I'm, I'm feeling into that and experimenting a little bit, but I, I never, never thought that would be like my problem, you know? Why do you think, well, is it just you didn't know what you didn't know or is there something under that that you didn't anticipate that that might be a challenge? Mm, I think it was I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and I think I had been through a period of with entrepreneurship, like it felt so freaking hard. It was so challenging. Everything felt like I was swimming upstream. Um, it, it was just like, it was hard. And now it's still hard, but it feels so different. Like at the same time, it feels easy and it can feel effortless and it feels fun. And there's a lot of joy in it. Um, so I think it was surprising. It's like, Oh, huh. Like this can be a little bit easier than I had been making it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if people remember nothing else about you and your body of work, from this episode, um, what would you want that to be? Mm, good question. Um, I would say make time today for your own quiet adventure. Um, it doesn't have to be this big thing where you go away for three days into the back country. <laughs> um, it can be as just this, these simple moments where you connect with that small, quiet voice inside of you and you take time not to do crazy hazardous things, not adventure in that sense, but to seek the exciting and remarkable because that's where you're going to find yourself and you're going to find happiness. That's fantastic. Megan, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate it. Okay, Creative Giant. So you heard it from Megan. What can you do today to have your own quiet adventure? How can you reconnect with yourself, with nature, and the community that supports your growth? And until next time, Stand tall. Hey, Creative Giants, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you want to hear more about the benefits of being in nature, check out episode 80 with Jonathan Mead. And for more on honoring cycles and seasons, listen to episode 15 with Lucy Pierce. If you're digging the Creative Giant show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.